Hi, I'm Harry McKay, and I'm the author of You Haven't Hit Your Peak Yet. And you're listening to my quest for the best with Bill Ringle. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringle here, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock your growth potential. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished guests who want to share their knowledge and experiences so you can be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating towards more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Harvey McKay. Harvey is an author who sold more than 10 million books, which have been translated into more than 50 languages around the world. He's written seven New York Times bestselling books, three have reached number one on the list, and two were named among the top 15 inspirational books of all time, which are Swim with the Sharks Without Being Eaten Alive and Beware the Naked Man Who Offers You His Shirt. Today, he's here to talk about his new book, You Haven't Hit Your Peak Yet. Harvey is chairman of the $100 million McKay Mitchell Envelope Company in Minneapolis, which he founded in 1960. His advice appears in 100 newspapers and magazines around the country. He lives and works in Minneapolis. We just don't know when he sleeps. Welcome, Harvey. <laughs> Thanks, Bill, for those very kind words. I've uh, been eagerly looking forward, okay, to this podcast. Well, it's such a pleasure to connect with you. I've certain, I've heard you speak. I've read your books. I've been a fan, and it's great to have you on the show to share your message with our audience. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, you've heard me speak? Now I remember. Yes. You're the one that threw, uh, of the, course. You're the, one that threw the tomato. Now I remember. <laughs> okay. Go, Go right ahead. So, Harvey, when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? Well, there's always uh, more than one person, but I'll say this. Yes. That if you were to study or ask 100, 500, 1,000 men and women who have been very successful, like Jack Welch, of course, who just passed away yesterday, as many of our listeners may know, there's one word they could have never made it without that mentor. 90% of them would say, in all the studies I've seen, they've had a mentor, someone that has inspired them. So I've had several. First, my father was a, well, three things about my father. He headed the Associated Press when he uh, was, well, started about 40 years old for 35 years. And three things about him. Number one, he was a hungry fighter. Number two, he was a hungry fighter. Number three, he was a hungry fighter. Lost my mother and uh, lived with him for five years. My mother died very early age when I just graduated college. So I got all of his street smarts and all of his, every single resourceful tip that he ever did, I learned from him. But also I want to mention the, a book, if a book can come in there too, because other than the Bible, I'd have to say it's probably as far as how many books have been published, probably right up there at the top five. But Dale Carnegie's, okay, How to Win Friends and Influence People was also a book that inspired me as much as anything in my life. So I submit and challenge to every listener out there again, as soon as this podcast is over with, write it down. And that is Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People, My Three Children, My 11 Grandchildren. They've all read it. Our sales forces read it. Our key managers have read it. 
and it is truly one of the greatest books ever written. And I might also add, and this is key, I call this take-home value. Do not read my book if you're going to buy it. Do not read Dale Carnegie's book. You have to study it, underline it, highlight it, post-it notes, rough it up, and then you'll have your MBA in the real world. Harvey, you have really dug in and extracted so much wisdom and so many business lessons and then shared that with others. How did you realize that that was going to be a calling or something that really you find satisfying? Because I think it's something you genuinely find satisfying as well as you've been very, very successful at it. What, at what point did you realize that that was something that would be useful to do and that you would be good at? Well, I think I have to go back to my father again, Bill, and that is as follows. He pushed me over the cliff at age 18 to go to Toastmasters International. And once I got there and I started getting some speech competition and I knew that I could influence people and I knew that I had constant, immediate, unfiltered feedback from my group, I guess maybe that's when the transition started that wow, maybe I can be a leader. Maybe I can be an entrepreneur. Always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Still had trouble spelling the word, but that's exactly what I wanted to be. So I think it really truly started with Toastmasters. And again, I've always had suggestions, of course, for the listeners, my family, my team managers, one of my successes, Toastmasters International. You're not spending one You're making an investment in yourself, which is so very important. If you can get up and speak, okay, extemporaneously for five minutes, trust me, you're a better manager without question. You're a better leader. You're a better competitor. Everything changes if you get up on your feet and speak. So again, I submit my challenge to our audience. Check out Toastmasters International. It'll be one of the best decisions you ever made whether you're 20, 40, 60, I don't care what your age is. Harvey, you've started and run a business and everyone listening is in a position where they're helping manage, run, or found businesses. When you look back at the career you've had and how you've run your business, because McKay Mitchell has, the Envelope Company has been in business for over 50 years and has grown to be one of the top five envelope companies in the United States. I say that because it started out as just McKay Envelope Company, and then you brought in your partner some years ago. But your business has been in operation for 50 years, and you've risen to have over 300 employees, and you make up to 20 million envelopes a day. That's 5 billion envelopes a year. When you look back, what were a couple of the milestones that really changed the trajectory of your business so that it didn't stay a small business with maybe a handful of employees, but really grew to this major operator in this industry? Well, let me start out by saying, uh, first, I'm an aphorism junkie. I write in aphorisms. I write my national syndicated column, which goes to, as you'd mentioned, 100 newspapers around the United States. That's approximately 10 million readers. (laughs) They all read the business page. But, uh, and incidentally, you must have been a math major, I I see you already multiplied it out to the 5 billion envelopes. 
but the biggest room, let me start out by, and everybody should write this down in their memory, in their brain bank, have it every single day. Never forget it. The biggest room in the world is the room for improvement. And so every single day, and I just learned that from my father too, I immediately got a kitchen cabinet at age 26, 27, when I started the company, took over a bankrupt company that had eight, nine, 10, 11 employees. And of course, build it today, which we're up to 450 people now and a hundred million dollar company that I'm very, of course, very proud of, but you can't do it all by yourself. It's one concept. So that kitchen cabinet, four, five, six people, I bounced everything off of them. I mean, I was again, a hungry fighter. I went to night school. Everything that I needed to improve upon, that's exactly what I did. I learned immediately, again, that sales makes up for a lot of mistakes. And then probably my number one secret, and the definition of the secret bill is when one person knows. But I, I immediately found out that if I had coaches, every single thing that I did, I could learn from the best. Example, you can play golf eight days a week. You can practice eight days a week. You've got a loop in your swing. What are you doing? You're perfecting an error. You put a ceiling on how good you can become. So therefore, I have a, you know, this is the last uh, 30, 40 years. Still have about 10 or 12 of them. But I have a golf coach and I have a swimming coach. I have a personal trainer. I have a speech coach. I have a voice coach. I have a foreign language coach. I've studied Russian, Chinese, Japanese, and Arabic. I have a humor coach. I've got an idea coach, golf coach, swimming coach. I might have mentioned before, dancing coach, thanks to my wife. I've got a memory coach out in New York. I've got an internet coach. I've got a social media coach. Now, why do I have all those coaches? Because whatever my God-given talent is, Whatever my God-given potential is, that's it. I can't do any better. I'll just have a project. I'll go out without question, find the best coaching I can. I then will focus, and I mean really focus, okay, on what I'm going to do and accomplish. And then I give it all I got. I just leave it all out on the playing field. And guess what, Bill? I don't ever worry. I can't do any better. I've just given it my guts. And over a period of a lifetime, if you do that on everything you want to try to accomplish, look at your batting average. It'll be way up there. In other words, I'm all in on everything that I do. All in. Difference between 100% all in and 99% all in is 100%. I do get that. And it's evident with how when you pursue something, you really are curious as to how far you can go, whether it's how far, you know, how large you can make your company, how effective you can be as a leader, how many people you can reach through your words in writing in the columns or in the speeches that you deliver all over the world. This is something that's truly inspirational about you and your life. As you were leading your business, Harvey, how would you attribute the growth of your business in your management team? Because with good managers, you really can take it anywhere. Well, let me come at this from a different angle because this is what I teach my managers. And there are a million words, Bill, in the English language. One million. If every listener out there understood this one 
four-letter word because you can't become a manager. You can't become a CEO. You can't become a president. can't become a university president. can't become a coach. can't become working at a big company if you have a reporting relationship unless you understand this four-letter word. What is it? H-I-R-E. Hire. I've studied hiring for over 50 years. If you can't hire, you don't have a chance. End of story. So the minute that I hire a new person, my management team, I'm consistently, constantly, I'm sending them to school. I'm giving them some good books to read on hiring. I'm training them because you cannot, under any circumstances, build a business with a revolving door. If I'm running a two-person lemonade stand and I have to hire another person, guess what? That's the biggest decision I'll make all year. You see, anyone can buy some envelope machines. That takes no talent whatsoever. But to hire the right person, I mean, I'm so proud that uh, over 50 years of being in business, you know, I've had approximately four or five assistants. I've had approximately four or five, this is over 50 years again, right? CEOs and presidents. Manufacturing, number one out there, of course, you can't, can't build a business unless you know how to make the product. But I'm very proud of that record. Harvey, you mentioned hire as a four-letter word. Is that one of your acronyms? Hiring is just so very important. And again, one of the most important words, not only in English language, but if you want to build your business. And then, if I could just tack on a PS, it's not the people you fire who make your life miserable. It's the people you don't fire who make your life miserable. Wall Street Journal went out and they asked a thousand managers, what's the toughest thing you have to do? What's the hardest thing you have to accomplish? Very simple. Fire another human being. Terminate another person. And so 92% of those executives said, Exactly that. And now here's a real key. 92% also said right, they made the right decision and never would go back and hire one of those again. And then the, what I call the 450-foot home run in the ninth inning, seventh game, World Series, is what the survey showed was as follows. Okay, if, if you ever, and we have a lot of entrepreneurs out there, we have people that are, that have reporting to other people. If you ever have to fire another human being as long as you live and he or she is shocked or surprised, guess what? You are a poor manager. Agreements prevent disagreement. You can't change the rules in the middle of the game. It all starts out with hiring. And yes, you try to work with that human being, he or she. And if it doesn't work out, they might have to jump to another lily pad. Harvey says hiring is so important. What's it like to interview for a job at the McKay-Mitchell Envelope Company? <laughs> it, it, came, it came into my wheelhouse now. But it's somewhat controversial. But again, this is what I believe in. And uh, no one can change my mind. As long as it's worked for me for over five decades, uh, why I, I don't have to reinvent myself on this particular subject. So very succinctly. When a person comes in, he or she, they have to know that there's going to be three or four different environments. 
I don't want to come in with a stuffy suit. I don't want to have a stuffy suit on, but also on the interview them on the golf course, believe it or not, if they're golfers, on the tennis courts, if they're tennis court, you know, enthusiasts. I want to actually, believe it or not, if it's a CEO or a president or a top HR person, I will take both of them if they're married to a play. I want to see them in a different environment at least two, three, four, five times. The acid test of hiring when it comes to McKay hiring is as follows. Let's say I'm hiring a salesman or a sales manager. If after 10 to 15 minutes, okay, in my thinking, all right, that person, okay, is not what I think it is. I say to think he or she is. I say to myself, how would I feel if this person I'm interviewing, okay, is not when they go to their competitors. I'm not worried if they go. In other words, let me just rephrase that. But that is, if you're not afraid of that person calling you your competitor, you end of interview. You've got, you got the wrong person. You have to be fearful. Now, the most controversial, and I don't expect any listener to do this, but I've been doing it all my life. If I'm hiring you, Bill, and you happen to be married with some children, then I will come to your home. I will interview your children. I will interview your spouse, your wife. And why do I do that? Because I want them to understand that this is the biggest single decision of the whole year. You see, if you come and join our, our rank and it doesn't work out, I mean, we still got three, four, five hundred people pumping out our company and just continually being successful. But look what happens to you. You spent all this time. You didn't get the job. Your heart is broken. So I want every person to know in your family how important this decision is and to make them part of that decision. And wow, let me tell you, it works, it works, it works. Now, I also have them be interviewed by some of my friends, uh, without mentioning the name, uh, number two company in the state of Minnesota, Household Word, but my friend is the CEO going back about seven, eight, nine, ten years ago. And I have to have, of course, an assistant. Now it's the chief of staff, then it was an assistant. How important is it for an executive to have a good assistant? Well, this person, okay, has an HR person, my friend, at his Fortune 500 company. And so I'll have the woman, she happens to be a woman, okay, that's interviewed a thousand secretaries. And it's an insurance policy. So I send the candidate, okay, down to her to see if they, out of one to 10, you know, give them a nine to 10. So those are some of the things I could go on and on that really makes a distinctive process. And it really opened my eyes to some of the ways in which people think that they're going so far over their comfort zone. And yet it really isn't because just by what you've described, it shows how much more room there is to go in order to get into that person's life, share with them what a holistic view of what everything means in joining that company, making the decision to accept an offer if one were offered. Now, Harvey, mm -hmm. you're also known for a comprehensive view of networking. <laughs> Can you share with us what your philosophy is about networking and it's important as a business leader? Well, again, if, uh, out of those million words, that networking would be certainly in the top 10. My philosophy has been that if, if I had to name the single characteristic shared by 
all the truly successful people I've met over a lifetime, I'd say it's the ability to create and nurture a network of contacts. In my entire career, I, I've never once, not an exaggeration, I've never once heard a successful person say he or she regretted putting time and energy into their network. And of course, the more you exercise your network, your networking muscles, the stronger they get and the easier networking becomes. So when it comes to networking, my final conclusion from the podium is when I say, I hardly ever give a speech without saying this, that it all comes down to this when it comes to networking. Then we'll back up and give some particulars. If you want one year of happiness, you grow grain. If you want 10 years of happiness, you grow trees. If you want 100 years of happiness, you grow people. And you see the world, now back to networking, the world really, truly, from my perspective, again, I don't expect anyone to agree with me, but what I've learned and what I teach is the following. One quality word, one referral from the right person from your network saves one, two, three, six, sometimes 12 months and increases the probability you will get the order over a long period of time. Example, I'm calling on a Fortune 500 company. I'm going to. See, there's no such thing as a cold call at McKay Mitchell Envelope Company, formerly McKay Envelope Company. We have made a cold call in decades. We prepare to win, which is so very, very important. And what do I mean by that? We dig our well before we're thirsty, which is one of the titles of the books that I've, that I've written. And we prepare and find out as much as we can. I want to know as much as I can about Bill Ringo before I go in. But also, I want someone to call you up regarding me through my network and say, Harvey McKay is good. He's trustworthy. He's honest. We've done business with him. We know his reputation. You can't buy a good name. You have to earn it. So right away, when I get that quality call from you or somebody else into a company that I'm going to be calling on, that saves months. Right away, you're almost the finalist, uh, you know, in the number of suppliers that they have. That's the way the real world goes around, whether we like it or not. Someone calling someone and saying he or she wants to buy your company, A, B, C, D, E, whatever they want, get the quality phone call in there first, which is so, again, very, very important. My network, it has to be up all the time. Your antenna has to be up all the time. The person on your left, person on your right, person in front of you, person behind you, they are so important over a lifetime. Now, it's great to hear speakers. It's great to hear this interview. But I want to tell you, equally important is to know that person left, right, front, and center. Because over a lifetime, again, you just will not believe what happened. I was talking to a friend, talking about a friend just 40 minutes ago. He lives in Atlanta. And he walked out an airplane, told me a story years ago, of course, walked out an airplane, went all the way to the back row. And, and, you know, when there's three seats, you don't want to be in the, you don't want to be in the middle, but he knew he had a window seat. So, so he says to this very nice looking woman, I'm sorry, you're sitting in my seat. And he made her move to the middle, you know, a long, long flight, four hour flight. Well, he wound up marrying her anyway. And there's a thousand examples like that. You just have no idea what I've learned. And I fly first class, quite frankly. 
And the reason why is it's the people I meet. I've never sat down without talking to my seatmate. Don't judge a book by its cover. Yeah, trite, but so, so true. You have no idea until you, when I'm in an elevator. <laughs> I introduce myself to the person or ask them where they're from. I only got three, four, five, ten floors to talk to them. But then you'd be surprised that all of a sudden his best friend is a good friend of yours. And it goes on and on and on. I could talk about networking 24-7 so that way. Harvey, what's an example of a time when maybe you felt like you were just tired or you were not fully up to your, your full level of energy and attentiveness and you thought to yourself, you know, maybe this once I'm not going to reach out and extend my hand to maybe one more person at this networking event or at this presentation. And you did it anyway, and it really turned into something that made a difference in your, your life or your business. Can you remember a time when you thought you might not do it and then you just did it anyway because of your training, of your commitment, of your values? I can't. I, I have to smile. I have to laugh. I just can't believe you asked that question when we're only talking 90 days ago of another home run. But my wife, is here in we're in phoenix right now we live both in phoenix and my business is in minneapolis and there's a place called the herd museum which is one of the finest in the world and she's on the board and she's in charge of a party and fundraiser 500 people are there i'm sitting at one of the front tables and what i do and i don't want that audience to laugh but i'm sorry uh once every single occasion a symphony ball whatever it is Chamber of Commerce event, when there's three, four, five hundred people, you can't meet all five hundred people. It's impossible. So I do get up and I go to the restroom. I go up one way and I come back another way. And I get a chance, you know, during the dinner to say hello to five, ten, fifteen people. If it's in my backyard, then and I know a lot of people there. Well, that's exactly what I did. And then the second time, it's twelve o'clock, I said to myself, I wonder if I should go go to the restroom one more time. And sure enough, you take a different route, took a different route. Someone said, Harvey, a friend of mine, introduces me to the table people. And I was having a seminar where 30 people were coming in. And we charged them $10,000 for the day to hear great speakers. And, and anyway, I mentioned it to her. She and her husband, boom. You know, not about money, but we made them happy. And so two of them, they each paid $10,000 a piece. Uh, just if I don't make that final run. I've got those two people that don't come. So so that's a perfect example, you know, if you're tired and exhausted. A lot of salespeople, if they get two, three orders that day or whatever it is, they'll take off early. No, you pour it on. And let me give you the bottom line of networking, which I learned from my father. And I just, if we had had to just take out one minute of this interview, then this would be the one minute or two minutes. When I meet a person, my father taught me, every person is age 21. You meet the rest of your life, assuming you want to again say hi to them and keep in touch with them. Hi, my name's Harvey. Hi, my name's Bill. Right to my brain bank, I say to myself, what can I do for Bill? How can I add value to his life? Now, if you just analyze this, if you just live your life this way for 30, 60, 90 days, which I've been doing my whole entire life, it is just beyond comprehension 
what happens to you as a human being and as a person when your antenna is up again about helping other people. And then I've kind of fine-tuned that since my father taught me that philosophy. And here's one of the keys also. Expect nothing in return. What can I do for this person? How can I help him or her? And expect nothing in return. I do have to mention my uh, best friend. Uh, well, we're joined at the hip. He's my brother from another mother. And uh, we spent 36 years together talking every other day. Many of the listeners will have heard his name before, and that is Lou Holtz. He's uh, in the Hall of Fame, 11 years, Notre Dame coach, one of the finest, greatest coaches ever to coach in college football. In fact, we just spent the three days in, in uh, Mexico I mentioned earlier, and uh, he was the closer and I was the opener. We had a great time. But every time I've been with him in 36 years everywhere, around the United States, even over in Italy, in a couple of foreign countries. Guess what? When he says goodbye to you, Bill, he'll always look you right in the eye, as long as he's had a five, 10 minute conversation with you. And he'll say, if I can ever help you, you call me. But he means it. That's what's important. He means it. Never met a person that doesn't say, call me if I can help you. Now, if you don't think that's a, a nice way to have some value and a quality of life, and wanting to get up every morning to try to help other people. So I pass that on. Maybe I'm more than two minutes there on that philosophy. Harvey, I look at it the reverse way. If someone listened only to those two minutes of the podcast, they would get enormous value. And Lou, when he looks you in the eye, you really feel like he's looking into you. He's, he's just making a connection at such a deep level. That's a, a wonderful idea to share. And one thing I wanted to ask your perspective on, because many people have encountered people who are cynical or jaded or think that people are looking to manipulate them by offering things. They don't come from it from the same spirit as you do of looking, how can I add value? How can I make your life better and expect nothing in return? They're looking for that quid pro quo. And, you know, tit for tat, some sort of transactional relationship. And I love your approach where it's, look, be generous, help others, and just it makes the world a better place. What do you say to people who wonder about how can you trust others? How can you trust that they're being ethical? What's your perspective on that, Harvey? Well, let me uh, just put it in reverse a tiny little bit and add a little tip to, the, to our conversation here. A politician, again, he or she, as soon as they meet someone at a party, they're talking to you, you know where their eyes are? Over your shoulder. Where's the next person I'm going to say hello to? How fast can I say, you know, one or two or three words and then on to the next person and on to the next person? If you want, it's just a little tip I learned many, many years ago. If you want another person to know that you have, and incidentally, you must have a deep down burning desire to help that person. If you don't believe in it, of course you can't fake it. But you got to believe it. Every single inch, every single ounce of, of strength that you've got in your body. And you have to practice it. But I, I submit to everybody out there, I challenge every listener, try it for 30 or 60 or 90 days. And you may find a change in your life. Well, that's back to, to concentrate. Now, when you're looking at a person, I'm sure no one's heard this before, don't look at both of their eyes. 
look at one eye. And when you're looking at that one eye, will they ever know? You can't tell, but will they ever know that your eyes are just zeroing in right on them? And all you care about is that one human being you're talking to. Uh, the, the world is full of people that, you know, are just cat handlers and everything else. But just one by one by one by one. So back to your question then. How do you know you're not taken advantage of? You know, how do you know, can I trust this person? Well, it's real simple. It's just by their deeds. I mean, a person's life equals the total sum of his or her experiences. So if you've had a lot of experiences, you know, you're not just fresh out of college. If you're trying to, you know, trying to identify with this philosophy that I just talked about, you might not have those number of years and you might be taken advantage of. But that's the risk that you take, and it's a pretty small risk compared to a quality life that you'll be living, you know, over a period of many, many decades. So you can't, no, one, no one's got the talent to be able to shake hands with someone and, and, and decide whether that person is ethical or not ethical, which, incidentally, do you mind, uh, because we're talking about ethics then, do you mind if I just add one thing that I like about uh, what's in my book? If it's okay with oh, you. Please. Yeah. Please. Well, it, it, it's again, uh, I guess they're all favorite chapters, but anyway, always act like your mother is watching. And I just, again, want to talk about ethics very, very shortly. My beliefs, my philosophy, I think there's been a consistent, gradual decline ethical business practices in the United States for about 50 years. Remember, my philosophy. And I think it's reached new extremes uh, lately in virtually every institution that can be measured, from senators to congressmen to local and state politicians, religious institutions, business leaders, sports heroes, the media. What about those students at Harvard and Stanford five years ago? Huge cheating scandal and many, many more. Well, how about the parents just recently, you know, trying to buy their way into prestigious schools? So let me just give you, if I can, an example of ethics, if I may. This is from Duke University. True story. Chemistry. I don't know if it was 101 or not. And the, and the professor is Bonk. Professor Bonk. Students call it professor. They call him Professor Bonkistry. And the course Bonkistry. Well, three students, you know, very good students. Got some good marks during the up to the final exam. And all of a sudden, it's on Monday morning, the following Monday morning. They go to Virginia, have too much to drink, get in real trouble, of course. Can't drive the car hardly for hours and hours. But then finally, they get back to campus, 4 o'clock in the morning, test us in four hours. So they walk over at 8 o'clock to Professor Bond, and they explain to him that they went to Virginia, had a flat tire on the way home, didn't have a spare, might be able to take the exam tomorrow morning and he thought a minute or two said yes that'll be all right and so they had the whole day to of course study more comes in a three of them eight o'clock a.m professor puts them in three different rooms hands out the exam and you may start first question for five points was on neutrons and oh boy they said to themselves yeah, we're, we're just going to kill this test <laughs> it's a piece of cake then they turn the page. Second question for 95 points, which tire? 
<laughs> right. Anyway, yeah. And I, I just love stories like that too. Because uh, they, re- they really do teach a lesson. You know, it's so true. And Harvey, are you ready for the My Quest for This lightning round? Sure. Mm-hmm. All right. That's good. Let's shoot the lights off. <laughs> so you accomplish so much and are so organized. What are three things you attribute your own productivity to on a day-to-day basis? Three things, if I repeat the question, that I attribute my success to, my productivity. Your productivity. Yeah, is it your organization? Is it the team around you? Sure. Well, obviously it goes to hiring first, which I've already mentioned and we covered. But also, uh, believe it or not, we all start out in life with one thing in common. We all have the same amount of time, correct? Now it's just a matter of what we do with it. So time management happens to be very, very important too. I mean, my father, I learned this from my father. He said, I'll pick you up at 6.07. We're leaving at 4.29. And if I'm not there, he leaves. I mean, time is so important. Lou Holtz, I have to go back to Holtz because I've been in the locker room with him for uh, over 25 years, coached at Notre Dame for 11 years, I'd ride the bus with them. And believe it or not, they're playing Clemson. True story. They may use the word hate, but they, but they really intensely dislike each other. And so what happened? I'm sitting in the front seat with them. His star halfback is, is 30 seconds late. He doesn't even wait for 30 seconds. He said, let's go. And the other 80 players take off and they leave that halfback wherever he was. He has to get the game on his own. So time is so valuable. And I just have all kinds of tricks how I save myself time. This is just a little flirtatious here, but it's, it's true. My wife, you know, of over 50 years, love her. But I think she spent two weeks looking for her car keys. Two weeks for looking at the keys of the hotels when we do an immense amount of travel. So I have a system. That's all. Bingo. Throw it on the floor. So I've never walked in a hotel room without just dropping the key on the floor. Because when I leave, there it is. I have to walk over it. Now, this is really important on the time management. The telephone yourself is an awesome weapon, really from a time management standpoint. And I'll just give you one example, maybe two. The entire world, okay, plays telephone tag with each other. I mean, I can't begin to tell you. If I kept track of every one of my salesperson's uh, time calls and all that, now they don't because they work for me, but any other sales, you're playing telephone tag all, all the time. So if I ever call you, Bill, guess what I say? And you do not answer. Or I'm calling a person that has a secretary. And I leave it with the secretary. Hi, my name's Harvey McKay. Uh, Bill's expecting my call, whatever it is. I can be reached. Repeat. I can be reached between 2 and 4 a.m., 5 and 9, Pacific Coast time, doesn't matter, mountain time. And then you respect their time. I mean, it, it just makes you a differentiator. You're not, that's the end of the telephone tag. And then, Bill, when, you, when I call you, and this will happen hundreds of times, and salespeople don't understand this because their time is so precious. Salespeople will call up and they'll just, uh, you know, they'll get the person on the phone right away. I call you, Bill. You know what I'm going to say the very first thing? Did I get you at a good time? Is this a good time? One out of five in my lifetime will say no. I mean, and yet they'll talk to you 
because they want to get rid of you right away and they're not even concentrating. Is, did I reach you at a good time? Is this a good time to talk or I'll call back? Just those two little tips. All right, time management. We already mentioned hiring the people around us. Of course, my I get so much done again because of my kitchen cabinet, but I also that continuous education. Harvey, let me jump in. I want to emphasize just how important it is because it's not a mechanical way that you're managing time. But when you call someone and ask, did I catch you at a good time? It comes from a, a place of respect for that other person's time. You're showing them that you value who they are and checking to make sure that they can give you their attention in return for you giving them your attention during the call. It really does set it up and it, it speaks to your whole philosophy. So I just want to underscore that for all the listeners. Well, I'll say bingo because you're, you're spot on. I meant to say that uh, very briefly. I might not have covered it the way that you just, just covered. No question about it. And with that, I add to it, little things mean a lot. <laughs> That's not true at all. Little things mean everything. So when you're doing all these little things, you know, over a period of a lifetime, you have no idea, again, how dramatically your success probability right, will go up. So it's the, again, I started to say that you don't go to school once for a lifetime. You're in school all of your life. And so I'm sending my managers all of the time to school and then to come back and report what they've learned. Send them the conventions, come back. What did you learn? You know, report to the people. So everyone's teaching everybody. Have speakers come in at lunchtime, to talk about what's going on, personalities, you know, congressmen, uh, businessmen. So we're, we're constantly in school and that gets me productivity because the people are all up to speed and they can't wait. I mean, to get to work, I call it TGIM, not TGIF. Thank God it's Monday. We know that 80% of our people can't wait to get to work until Monday. We know that. And again, we give them, I mentioned it early, uh, we get constant, immediate, unfiltered feedback from all of our people. So those are some of the things that will certainly help my productivity. Well, Harvey, you've shared so many great ideas with me today on my quest for the best. I just want to say thank you so much for starting off and telling us what an important influence your father was, because clearly the lessons you learned from him have stayed with you and put you in such good stead. And the effect of that ripples on like a stone dropped in a pond. It's just very, very inspiring. We'll make sure that everybody learns to not only benefit from your books, but from the people we spoke about, everyone from Dale Carnegie to Lou Holtz. What you shared today really does speak to how you said it so well. The little things aren't a lot. The little things are everything. And it's the culmination of all of our actions, interactions, lessons learned, and lives touched that make the difference. So Harvey McKay, New York Times bestselling author, of you haven't hit your peak yet. I want to thank you once again for joining me on My Quest for the Best. Well, it's been a real honor, real thrill. Appreciate your questions, and hopefully our audience uh, receives some take-home value. Harvey, before you go, where can people find out about what you've been up to online, more about your books and your columns, and also about the McKay Academy? Well, I always uh, like to deliver more than I promise. So 
I would suggest everyone listen up very, very closely. I've started a new international company. I spoke in front of 15,000 people in Las Vegas six weeks ago when I launched it. It's called the Harvey McKay Academy. And what's in there is sales and marketing and negotiations, entrepreneurship, leadership, hiring, firing, on and on and on, time management. Anyway, yes, I do sell some items on there, but I have hours and hours and hours of free information, gratis. That's all you have to do is go to Harvey McKay Academy and you'll get six or eight lessons from me on some of the things that we talked about today. You'll get everything probably I've ever written when it comes to, well, let's just talk, we didn't, we didn't mention this, but the K66, that's a list of questions I wanna know when I call in a customer. I call on Pillsbury, General, 3M, Honeywell, all these different major companies in the Twin Cities, and I don't make a cold call. And again, before I make that call, I find out as much as I can about that customer. And then I have this McKay 66. When I'm in there, I'm having lunch, playing golf, I want to know 66 things about them. I call it humanize your selling strategy. So I have 10 or 15 different handouts like the McKay 66. You want to write a book. You want to be a great speaker. It's all there, no charge. So I could not just enthusiastically mention enough that if you go there, all right, you will move your game to the next level. Harvey McKay, thank you again so much for joining me on my quest for the best. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app, so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on my quest for the best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.